we went and saw the Star Wars Return of the... No, sorry, The Last Jedi. How was that? I haven't seen it yet. Well, you know, I don't want to give any spoilers to any yeah. of our listeners. No spoilers. Was it good? Was it... Uh... Well, I'm not, a, I'm not a Star Wars geek. So for me, I mean, it, the action was cool and the visuals were cool, but the story tends to be a little hokey for me. Okay. Uh, a little pre- little predictable. Yep. Yeah, well, I think I told you I haven't seen it before. So, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of, of all of them, but I've not seen it like start to end or even, you know, as some of the purists, you know, would watch it or or even like in the, the reverse order or whatever, the chronological order, because what is it like one, two, three? It's like four, five, six, one, two, three or something like that. I don't know. I'd have to get my buddy Slayer that again i met christina i had to end up watching all of them because they started coming out with these new newest what three or four that they've done now right and i'm not into the whole sci-fi fantasy stuff so i hadn't seen any of them actually i totally have had avoided them until about maybe four or five years ago mm. at which time i ended up watching all of them actually I, I did watch one of them. I did see the one with uh, Jar Jar Binks, which is apparently like the worst possible one you could ever watch. But. <laughs> I don't know. I can't comment. I still haven't seen all of them. So <laughs> He's a hated character is all I know. But. If you want to talk about Back to the Future, I'm your guy. But otherwise, uh, Star Wars, I'm not the guy to go to for that. Sorry. Yeah. Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica. I don't know any of that crap. Mm, nope. Nope. Which is sacrilege. You know, we're in the tech, tech. We're in the tech industry, so that's right. I mean, we're losing subscribers right now because we're bagging on the sci-fi movies and TV shows. Our YouTube live count just went down another couple points. I think a few. We lost a few people. I'll be interested to hear if you can hear any bleeding coming through from the open nature of your headphones or not. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. But uh, interesting thing about that, when I'm playing music, I'm jamming out my my phone. You know, I'm rocking the Pixel 2. My phone will detect the songs. If I have the phone just laying out on my desk... It'll pick up like the sound coming out of the headphones and tell me what song is playing. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And it's probably not even very loud, really, right? Yeah, not very loud. So I think it's a sensitive microphone, you know, for all the government surveillance that's going on. They need to have some sensitive equipment in there. (laughs) I think uh, Snowden was, you know, Snowden released that new security app. It's like a tampering app to let you know if someone's messed with your hotel room or your computer. Did you hear about that? I saw the headline, but I didn't really read into what exactly it was. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not... The interesting thing was that he had been tearing apart a lot of the phones um, over the last year or two, whatever. He'd been tearing open hardware and kind of examining chips. And I guess the newest phones, I don't know if Pixel 2 or the iPhone, but newer phones, he said, have three microphones uh, built into them. So more like far field 
Mike's kind of like a, what Alexa has or something like that. Is that what he's thinking or is he thinking the the uh, big companies are always watching? You didn't say what it was. I, I'm just wondering. It could just be about um, noise reduction, that sort of thing too. You know, it's probably something innocent like that. Sure, it comes in handy for spying, but it sounded like it was just a that's what I'm guessing it's probably has something to do with just a better quality audio stream or something like that. Maybe it uses triangulation to filter out background noise or something like that. Makes sense. You got you uh, nursing a cold or something? No, I'm doing pretty good. Do I sound you, bad? You just don't sound quite as low as you normally do. <clears throat> I didn't do my breathing exercises before this thing, so. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> There we go. I think I just knocked it down half an octave right there. Yeah, I think that did it. <clears throat> Dude, it's good to be back back at the desk. It's good to be recording some podcasts. Yeah, it's been, uh, gosh, what, a month maybe? I think we took a month off. Yeah, we published something right around Thanksgiving. We did our Thanksgiving episode number five, what we're thankful for. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been kind of nice uh, to have a little break and, and much needed little R and R. But I'm also really eager to get back into it. And I think we've got some really cool things that we want to talk about. And it's going to be a pretty rocking year for the Coffee Codecast. I think first we should probably uh, say thanks to uh, one of our listeners. Oh boy, I got a nice little care package in the mail earlier this week. Uh, our our good friend and our uh, longtime listener. Uh, Simon delivered on his coffee promise. I got a nice little package in the mail with a couple bags of beans. Sorry, I uh, had him sent to the uh, California office instead of the Seattle one there, KJ. <laughs> it's all right. I got plenty of beans here. <laughs> yeah, Simon. Shout out to Simon for hooking us up with the Coffee and Codecast with some quality Starbucks beans. We got a uh, a bag of the Sumatra, which I'm a big fan of the Sumatra beans, and Oh, shoot, I don't have the tag in front of me, but it was a reserve blend, maybe the Nicaraguan blend or something, but one of the reserves. Anyway, I haven't cracked into it yet, but I'm excited to try it out. So uh, I told Simon, well, we said that we said on air that if, if he delivered, then we would be delivering a t-shirt. So we're going to, we're mocking up those designs right now. Kyle has some graphics for me to look at and uh, I'm going to order up some shirts this week. So Simon, we're going to hook you up with some coffee and Codecast merch and, uh, Stay tuned for that. Maybe if we're going to be uh, putting out some, you know, free, some marketing materials, maybe we should have the website running too, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to work on that too. I've got a good list of resolutions and getting the website up is one of them. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about that. Good deal. Yes. Maybe we haven't confirmed this as being something we're actually going to do, but there was some talk that maybe myself or... Uh, Maybe you'd be involved too. I'm not sure, but maybe doing a, a full marathon. I've done about three half marathons at this point, all the rock and roll uh, Seattle marathon uh, half. But uh, on my to-do list has been the, the full marathon for quite a long time, probably for, I don't know, damn near a decade probably. And I just have never gotten it done. And I've kind of gotten away from running here in the past six or seven years. I've been primarily focused on biking. So I kind of wanted to get back into running and uh, I thought maybe this might be the year to actually kick off a full marathon and I talked to you a little bit about it and you sounded like you might be interested in it too. I may have committed to that in a moment of weakness, but I am interested in that. 
<laughs> Don't back out now. <laughs> well, the whiskey may have been flowing that day. No, it wasn't. I'm just kidding. It wasn't. <laughs> I think that was during work time. Well, that's been known to happen on occasion. <laughs> no, actually, I've also, well, I'm a former runner. I used to run competitively in college for a D1 program. Uh, not a great program, but it was D1 still, so I'll, I'll throw it out there. But um, I, yeah, I've I've come close. In training, we used to get pretty close to marathon. I, I mean, I've done half marathons, and I've come, I think the most I've done in a training session was 22. So I've been close to the to the edge, but not quite all the way there. So I'd love to do that. It's on my bucket list. And uh, I think it would be really fun to have an accountability partner to keep me in check. And uh, yeah, I think it would be fun to do it. Uh, yeah, I was curious as to how far during cross country you actually went. I wasn't, I'm not familiar with cross country. Uh, so I didn't know what the total distances you were running in those kinds of events ended up being. I figured you were probably somewhere in the ballpark, but. Well, the the races themselves, uh, you know, it, the college in, in college are 10K for typically 8K or 10K uh, for men's racing. So, you know, not nothing close to that. But in training, we would get close to that. So we'd go out, particularly in the off season too. Like the off season was really just a lot of uh, base training. And so we would go out and run. You know, I remember we would kind of flip a coin and we would do eight miles one day and 10 miles the next day. And that was kind of like a regular Monday through Friday regimen. And in the off season, um, in the brisk Nebraska winters, um, running like on country roads and, and whatnot. But then we would do long runs on on Sundays. And so we would build those up over time. You know, you might do alternating eight and 10 mile days. And then for a long run, maybe do a uh, 12 miler one week and then 14 miler, 16 miler, et cetera. And we keep jacking it up and until we got a little bit over 20. And I think we, that's as far as we went was like 22, 2022 20, miles. Just still a bit of a haul. So you'll have a good feel for it or at least a pretty good idea of what it's going to be like, whereas I've only gone, you know, 13 point whatever, two. Yeah, you just double it. So right when you feel like collapsing, yeah. you just say, hey, I'm halfway and I got to go back now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've kind of played around with the idea of, because this is a pretty major accomplishment for most people, uh, making it kind of a destination type event. So we've toyed around with the idea of maybe even a foreign type uh, marathon, but I think maybe just in the interest of the timing and, and our time and that sort of thing, we've kind of settled on maybe we would do the Vegas uh, rock and roll marathon, which looks kind of cool because you run the, the strip at night, which would be kind of a cool experience, I guess. That would be fun. Yeah, I've, I haven't done that before. I haven't really done any running in Vegas, so a night run, that'd be motivating too. The energy there, I think, would be palpable, and it would be uh, motivating to keep going. That's the thing I appreciate about the rock and roll is that there's bands playing all over the place, and there's usually people cheering all over the place, and it kind of just makes you feel, you know, you don't, I guess, realize the work you're putting in. You're kind of always looking around and checking out what's coming up in front of you, and you just, uh, you kind of get lost in it all, I think. That's the best way to run anyway, is when you're in the zone and not really thinking about running. And that's always was the key to my endurance training was finding something to focus on besides the run. And when you can get lost into that, it's a pretty powerful feeling. That's kind of the, the high, the runner's high or the zone. 
and uh, yeah, having some rock and roll music and people screaming at you is always a fun way to get there. Over the break, for whatever reason, I got into looking into, I think I was looking at, at replacement MacBooks as well. And I was kind of getting turned off by the sheer cost of it. It, it. It's not something that I necessarily use for work or anything like that on a regular basis. It's more of a, you know, it's my machine for home. It's what I look around on the internet with. It's what I, you know, bring up recipes on when I cook, you know, that sort of thing. So I wanted to replace the one that I have. And the reason that I wanted to replace the one that I have is that about two and a half years ago or so, I had come home from the office, kind of threw my bag on top of the hood of the car and was kind of messing around with my bike and noticed that I was missing a valve stem cover. So one of those little five cent plastic covers that cover your tire valve stems. So in my book bag, I happened to have one of those. And so I unzipped the book bag and got it out of the top pouch where it was located, turned around to put it on the bike. And all of a sudden behind me, I heard a big sliding sound and there goes my 15 inch MacBook Pro sliding off the hood of the car onto the ground and, you know, crashed into the cement. Oh shit. So (laughs) banged up the corner of the the case of the uh, MacBook and uh, cracked the screen, of course. So MacBooks being what they are, you know, really expensive and impossible to repair. I just kind of figured it was screwed and, you know, I basically made it a clamshell desktop computer at that point. Well, long story short, over the break, I had found that you can buy a replacement screen for the MacBook. And not only is it the LCD screen, but it's also the aluminum panel. So like the entire, um, I guess, hinged piece the lid, I guess you might say, is one piece that you can buy as a whole. So it's not so, just the screen insert. It's really the whole outfit that just uh, on that side of the hinge. Exactly. Huh? Yep. So it was the aluminum, it's the, the screen and everything, and it's all put together already. Um, and so that comes as one piece, which you can actually order on Amazon for about 350 bucks. So uh, I went ahead and t- gave it a shot, and I found a... Uh, a uh, tutorial on iFixit on how to tear down the uh, the MacBook Pro and, and replace the screen. And yeah, long story short, it worked like a champ. And right now I'm actually looking at my MacBook with a brand new uh, screen on it and it's working great. The only concern or issue I might have with it is there this screen as opposed to the other one does have a slight bit of ghosting or burn in, which is kind of annoying. But uh, I did contact the seller about that this morning, so we'll see if they get back to me. But overall, I'm really happy. It's a way cheaper repair than I thought it was going to be. The uh, When I first bought this thing way back in 2013, it actually had a dead pixel in it pretty quickly, and I brought it into the Mac store to get repaired. And I remember at that time, they gave me, it was warranted, of course, the repair, but they gave me like a receipt at the end of the repair, and they were it said something like, this would cost $1,000 or more to do any other time. So $300 I was really, really happy with, and I'm happy to have my MacBook back. It's a good deal, good discount, and a a great savings on having to replace the whole thing because, you know, you're not going to get a good MacBook Pro for $300 anywhere, even used. (laughs) Yeah, even this model, which is already, uh, what did I say, 2013, so it's already plenty old, but it, it still performs. I mean, I have no complaints with its performance at all, so... Really, really happy with that. And kind of tying on to that, um, 
one of the things that I read or heard, I think on a podcast, maybe yeah, I was on a podcast is that when it comes to battery on, on, on any kind of laptop, I guess actually, but the Chrome browser is a actual, a battery destroyer basically. <laughs> um, so I went away from Chrome on the MacBook just to try it out. I had tried Safari once upon a time, long, long time ago, and I just didn't get into it. I didn't like it. I didn't like that it didn't sync with all my other machines and, you know, so on and so forth as far as like bookmarks and history and, you know, all that sort of thing. But I've been running it for a while now, basically since I got it repaired. And I, I definitely can tell you the battery life is insanely better to the magnitude of like, I could probably run this MacBook for eight hours on Safari versus probably like maybe two on Chrome. Are you saying that those Microsoft Edge annoying little pop-ups actually might be speaking some truth? I can't speak to Edge because, uh, you know, I don't, I, the, I'm off the IE train since, uh, you know, <laughs> what, 2000. But. They don't have a Mac-friendly version <laughs> of Edge. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <clears throat> I should probably give it a try, give it a, give it a good run, but I, you know, kind of like Safari, I just have shied away from it, but. I've been pleasantly impressed. Even even I migrated all my bookmarks and stuff like that from Chrome over to Safari. Uh, some of the things that I do love uh, from Safari is like the reading function. Yeah, it converts everything to a different like text-friendly. Yep, and then it works on the iPhone as well. So now I get syncing between my iPhone and the the, uh, the Mac, and even it even has kind of a handoff function. So if I'm viewing a web page on the Mac when I open up Safari on the iPhone, it'll show me at the bottom that I can pick up that page where I left off on the Mac, which is pretty slick. Handy. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, been a pretty cool experience. I'm pretty happy with it. And like I said, the, the battery life is uh, is much, much better. I'm actually kind of sad right now that I can't run Safari on Windows, but I guess maybe I'll have to give Edge a try. Well, what happened to that? They used to have Safari for Windows. Did they get rid of that? They did. They dropped support for that. Uh, I don't know, four years ago, or it's been a while. Oh boy, I'm a little out of the loop on the Apple stack. Yeah, you're all Android now. All Android all the time. All Android all the time. Yep, I've been very happy with that uh, decision. Used to be a big Apple guy. I still like Apple. I don't have really a whole lot against Apple other than I like my Project Fi, and I like, uh, I've said, you know, it's a pretty good deal. Gotten a pretty good deal on, on the equipment. The Pixel 2 has been great. Great phone. So I just got, we've been going back and forth. That's why we haven't had any episodes. I've been going back and forth with these fuckers over here at the uh, you know, customer service at Google, man. And they just <laughs> relented and actually sent me an a email a couple days ago saying that the, my trade-in kits are coming in the mail this week. So Oh, excellent. Finally. So they came through, those guys, those uh, you know, they're kind of firm at first, but I think they had a lot of pushback on, on it was confusing. And for a lot of people who wanted to trade in a Nexus or something for the new phone, it was $150 off if you have one of the newer Nexus 5X 32 gig phones. So yeah, I'm expecting a $300 credit for the two phones that I am trading in. And that took what, about two months at this point, right? Two months, yeah. It's it's been a process, and it's really just been sitting in their queue more than anything else. We haven't had a ton of back and forth, but it just kind of went away for a while, and then I followed up with them again, and then yeah, I, they had sent out a link to a Google form to fill out if you had a screwed up order that didn't have the trade in kit or whatever, 
and they're responding to those people right now, finally. Good. I'm glad that uh, that they uh, realized their wrongs there and, and, and made it right for you. I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I do too. Thanks, Google. <laughs> so the last piece of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the last piece to tag on to that uh, whole MacBook story is that because of the broken screen, I had been using the Mac as more or less a desktop kind of in clamshell mode. So I had my Plex server uh, running on there and and a whole bunch of other things. So I've had to kind of reevaluate and uh, tear apart some of the things that I had set up in terms of Plex and some of the other services that the MacBook was running. Uh, and so I went ahead and I purchased an actual desktop PC, which I haven't had here in a long time. So uh, they still make those. <laughs> they do. Uh, well, and in this case, I just got a kind of an i5 uh, used one. You can get them uh, refurbed on Amazon for, I think this one cost me about 200 bucks. Uh, threw a new video card in it. But other than that, it's been running like a champ and it acts as my Plex server now. And then I can uh, use my MacBook as a regular, you know, notebook that I carry around every day. And, and when I go, you know, out of country, out of state, you know, whatever I'm traveling, I can take the MacBook with me, which is something that I've kind of been missing. You know, I don't want to bring the work laptop with me or something like that. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Plus the MacBook is a very expensive desktop machine, right? To your point, you can get a <laughs> desktop server for less than the cost of a replacement screen on a five-year-old MacBook. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to uh, some follow-up here or uh, in the last episode, I believe it was. Yes, it was. Because uh, we were talking about things we were thankful for, and uh, I brought up the Sonos products, and you had brought up a question about the Play One, which is the number one, versus the Play One, which is the number one written out, right? It's like Sonos One versus the Play One, the Play Uno, the Play One. Oh, you're right. It right. is Sonos One. Yep, you're right. Sonos One versus the Play One. And... Uh, the, there, there is a difference between the two. The difference, the Play One is the legacy device, it's, if, if you will. Um, it's what I have a couple of them. Um, so they're the same exact form factor. They're effectively the same exact hardware. Um, the difference is that the Sonos One is the Alexa-enabled device, and it has capacitive touch on the top, whereas the Play One is has a physical set of volume buttons on the top, and that's it. So other than that, they're effectively the exact same devices. Okay. Uh, they can they they can be paired together, so you can have two Sonos Play Ones or two Sonos Ones paired together. I don't think you can cross the two. Yeah, that's what I was wondering about. There is cross, but that's okay. It doesn't matter because you can still have. If you wanted a, you're talking about if you wanted a left and right in a room like your living room, you could pair two of the same branded ones together the same series but you could still have uh some sonos play ones in the kitchen and a sonos one in the couple of those in the basement or the bedroom and it doesn't really they'll play on all of them yeah absolutely they can continue to coexist uh on the same sonos system they just can't i don't think they can be paired together as left and right channels in a stereo pair unless they're the same type okay well that's not a deal breaker that's okay the only other difference uh, between the two is I think the Play One they've down uh, decreased the price down to down to 150 bucks, and the Sonos One is a 200 dollar speaker now. So the Play One used to be the 200 dollar level, and they've now brought that down. So 
those are the hmm. primary differences. Uh, they have both of them still in their lineup. So that answers that question. Thanks for clearing that up for us, KJ. No problem. Glad I could be of service. Moving right along is uh, today's topics. Why don't I get us started? The first topic that uh, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while for selfish reasons because I am in the market, as I was saying earlier, for a new uh, laptop. I, I have a ThinkPad T440, so that's a, that's a <laughs> I was going to say 1940s model. It feels like a 1940s model. It was the 2014 model, whatever, ThinkPad T440P. Anyway, um, so yeah, I want to talk about the battle of the Ultrabooks. I've been trying to get, make a decision on what platform to buy. Do I want to get a MacBook Pro? Do I want to um, stick with PC? And if I do want PC, then do I want to go with Surface Pro? How about Chromebook? That's another platform that's evolving. Uh, you know, there was a new Pixelbook that just came out uh, within the last couple months that's pretty impressive in terms of hardware. It's right up there with these other guys and battery life is, is uh, phenomenal, but uh, that's an option. And then some of the other Ultrabook PCs, PC options such as the Dell XPS 13 or the Spectre X360 from HP. So I just wanted to kind of throw out uh, some of my findings, just doing some research on those, those four maybe help some people out that are trying to uh, make some decisions on what to buy uh, in this Ultrabook space. Ultrabook, really just kind of a fake term, but it's just a really lightweight laptop. I think Intel came up with the term Ultrabook, but it's it's really um, kind of uh, a nod towards the PC space after you, know, you had MacBook Air, kind of like the equivalent of MacBook Airs on the PC side very lightweight, less than an inch thick. In some cases, probably closer to half an inch thick or so, plus or minus. It's a competitive space right now. There's a lot happening, a lot heating up over there, and uh, it can be quickly confusing just trying to wade through all the different options that are out there. I feel like before you start diving into the results of your findings, you should probably lay out what it is exactly that you're looking for in an Ultrabook. Like what are its use cases, you know, what are you wanting to what are you wanting to do with it? What are you wanting to get out of it? Is it a work machine? Is it a personal machine? Is it a video editing? You know, what are you gonna do with this thing and and how powerful does it need to be based on those criteria? Yep, that's good. That's a good point. So I'm a little picky. I have a few different boxes that I want to check off on mine. So the machine that I have now, like kind of the paperweight that I was telling you about for my Lenovo ThinkPad, um, is mainly a, a developer machine. So I'm using it to run Visual Studio Code or um, Visual Studio Pro. Uh, and I'm doing uh, mostly development type tasks on it. Not really doing a whole lot of video. Uh, I don't do any video for that matter or anything like that. So it's not terribly processor intensive. But what I'd like to use it for is a developer machine. I'd like to also be able to, uh, you know, I travel a lot now. I'm traveling a lot more this year too. So but I'd, I'd like to have something with some pretty significant battery life, something that can get me through a, maybe not a long haul flight over to Europe or something like that, but pretty darn close, at least anything in, in the United States. I'd like to have good battery life. I want it to be lightweight too. That's the other thing. This thing that I have now just takes up a lot of space. It's, a, it's about an inch thick, probably about four and a half pounds. So it's just, it feels very heavy in my bag because I don't, I don't 
bring a lot with me. I travel pretty light and that's the heaviest thing that I have in my bag. So for me, the fact that it's ultra portable um, and that it's it's pretty fast. I want to be able to do things quickly with it. I don't need to do a ton of uh, processor intensive stuff. I just want it to be zippy. I want it to have good battery life and I want it to be lightweight. So those are kind of the three check boxes that I have for my uh, new laptop. So no, uh, you don't, GPU is not important to you. Uh, you're not gaming. You're not doing video. You might want a decent resolution, but as far as GPU power, that's probably not a big concern for you. Uh, CPU and, and memory is going to be your biggest concerns. CPU and memory, exactly. Yeah, Storage. I'm not a gamer. Storage as well, yeah. Uh, especially because everything's solid state. You know, I want to make sure that I, and some of these light, ultralights too, they don't have the ability to swap out components. So something that's really important there is to make sure it's kind of like a one and done decision. Once you do it, you're not going to upgrade it. It's um, glued into the box. So it's not really going to come out. So storage, making sure there's enough in there is important too. Okay. And so anyway, I, I, I guess those are the four, one, two, three, four, five options. I narrowed it down to five. Um, MacBook Pro. Let me ask one more question before we get too far down the rabbit hole, like how much storage are you looking for in, in, in a box? Because your storage need versus my storage need is probably quite different. Yeah, it's going to depend on a few factors, right? So being in development, uh, sometimes, you know, we have virtual machines and that sort of thing, which can eat up space if you're going to be doing VM. Um, I, I'm not doing a ton of that. The other, the other area where storage could become an issue is if you have a lot of uh, offline content, uh, media, multimedia, photos, because uh, you're a big photographer. So if you have gigs and gigs of photos on your drive or um, music and videos, those are some things that can eat up uh, some storage. Uh, for me, it's it's more of just a precautionary thing. I just don't want to run out and I'm not sure what I'll have on there. I, I Right now, I'll tell you this on my Desk, I have a couple desktops, one in my Seattle at the office in Seattle, one at home, and my laptop. I'm all I'm running 256 gig solid state on all three of those. And um I'm I'm in a pretty healthy territory on all of those. I'm not running out of space yet, but I'm probably over I'm easily over 50%. Um I'm easily using 128. And so, you know, I wouldn't want to go any lower than 256. And if I can get up to 512 for a little bit more money, it's probably worth it just for some future proofing. Yeah, I would agree. If you, yeah, it feels like you're going to be pushing that probably in the next few years, if not sooner. Yeah, I've just noticed in some of the new updates that I'm doing. I think Windows is a little lighter, but you know, some of these other packages, Office is a gig plus, couple gigs, Visual Studio, a couple gigs. So it doesn't take much. Some of those software programs out there are getting bigger, and it doesn't take much to suck up that space. And again, if you're doing virtual machines or anything like that, then you're going to take up a ton of space. It wouldn't take much to to use that up either. So those are some of the criteria that I'm looking at. RAM, I, I'm thinking probably 16 gig just because um, I use 16 on my, my laptop right now. Actually, my desktops, I have 24. And um, that I find to be more important just for speed and performance than anything else. It's just eight gigs is just kind of the bare minimum. And if I'm running multiple apps and I've got, you know, 20 Chrome browser tabs open or whatever the hell, then you kind of need to have more RAM because that, that thing's going to suck up some memory. Yeah, I think between Visual Studio and Chrome alone, you could pretty easily suck up probably six to seven gigs just between those two. Doesn't take much for those guys. Those are pretty big memory hogs. So 
Yeah, looking for 16 gigs, 512 would be nice. The other consideration to make too is processor. And so there's been a big jump in performance um, just in the last few months. Some of these machines are getting refreshed with the uh, KB Lake update, which is the, the eighth gen Intel. So like your MacBook, for example, is still rocking i7, but every, some of these other guys are starting to come out with i8s now and big leaps in performance. They're, um, you're going from dual core to quad core. So that's one big jump. So if any of the kind of multi-threading applications, you get to see a big performance boost in the i8. Um, and also, um, well, sorry, on the i7 eighth generation um, uh, versus the i7 seventh gen. Okay, make sure I don't get those confused. But um, but the eighth gen, you've got quad core. Eighth gen also has improved battery life and um, overall performance. It just rocks compared to the seven. So it's definitely worth that consideration too when you're looking at one of these machines. Have you had hands-on performance with these machines yet? Have you been able to test any of these in person? I don't have any. Uh, no, I haven't. This has all just been through um, research and looking online and different performance tests that are people, other benchmarks that have been published online, um, you know, all around the board. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, video transcoding spreadsheets, uh, you know, load times for apps and even some graphic stuff um, all around like the eighth gen just crushes the uh, seventh gen chips. So I know I'm familiar with Chromebook. You've got a Chromebook. We looked at a few of those together um, and I'm familiar with the XPS 13. I think I introduced you to that machine. I actually was in, interested in potentially looking at that. Uh, prior to the MacBook getting fixed up. So I'm curious to know how those stack up against some of these other ones I'm not familiar with. With Spectre or, yeah, well, so, uh, I mean, I think the the one, let's see, where to start here? I'll just go down the line. So, I mean, one thing that I would say is that Mac, you know, we've been kind of ragging on Apple a little bit lately and, you know, this is no difference here. Like the MacBook Pros are a little lagging in terms of uh, updates. And so maybe that's going to change here in the next three to six months. But right now, they're all still rocking the seventh gen chips. Um, also, too, you've got dongle hell and that sort of thing, too. I like the durability of the, of the MacBook Pro. Um, but that's just, a, you know, that's the other differentiator between like a Spectre, for example, is going to be more of a, um, you can... It works as a tablet or a laptop. So that is one benefit of the Spectre, uh, whereas the MacBook and the, you know, XPS 13, the Chromebook, Pixelbook, those guys are just laptops, right? They're not, uh, you're not going to be folding those over in tablet mode or anything like that. Yeah, I think um, the XPS 13 can come in a touch model, but it's not, yeah, you're not folding it into tablet mode, but it's touch enabled. Yep, that's right. So... So that that's one of the differentiators. Uh, another another one too is USB C. So that's an up and coming. You know the phones now are rocking USB C. Some of the laptops are too. And for charging specifically, uh, that's something I'm interested in. Is as I'd like to have something that doesn't have a brick for a power cord. And so I'd like to find USB C charging where I could have a really a small pocket size charger or even use a battery that's powerful enough to uh, give that thing an extra charge. You know, those extra batteries that you can keep for the phones. Like I'd like to have that capability as well. 
And I think this is a area that the the newer MacBooks win because I believe the dongle hell that you referred to earlier, I think the single singular port that is available on the MacBook, I believe, is a USB-C port. Yep. So you get that with MacBook. You do get that also with um, the Pixelbook has USB-C. The Surface Pro, now see, this is where I don't remember. I have to look at the Surface Pro to see if it does or not. The Surface Pro 4 is the newest version. It has full-size USB 3, Surface Connect for charging, micro SD slot, mini display port, headphone jack, and cover connectors. So, so yeah, so that was disappointing. The, the newest Surface Pro, you have a uh, what they call Surface Connect for charging. And the you can get an adapter or a dongle to go to USB-C, but uh, it doesn't have a USB-C port built into it. Uh, I would say another feature in terms of battery life is that they're all very competitive. The Pixelbook, the Surface Pro, MacBook, they're all pushing. It, the the XPS 13 can get up to like, they claim 22 hours, but that's incredible. Yeah, I remember it being pretty high when I was looking at the battery life. Although, you know, I'd be curious as to know what conditions that's taking into account. Well, for one thing, it can do it, but it's going to do it on the 1080p model. If you're doing 4K, or in, I don't think they do 4K. It's the 1800, 32 something something by 1800 resolution. It's going to use a little more juice, so it's not going to. It's going to knock it down a few hours. Same with the Spectre. The Spectre has a 4K model, and they have a 1080p model, and the 1080 model gets uh, four extra hours. I think it's somewhere around 17 hours, 16 hours. No. No, the Spectre 360 gets 12 hours of battery life on 1080p, and it gets about 8 hours on 4K. Up to 10 hours wireless web, up to 10 hours iTunes playback, up to 30 days standby time. So that's the same as the Pixelbook. Pixelbook gets up to 10 hours as well. So in, in that category of battery life, MacBook, Pixelbook are kind of on the lower end. The the XPS 13 is the winner, up to 22 hours. Spectre, around 12 hours, so pretty close. Uh, but that's I really I've I have to say that the Dell is the standout for me. I like the look of the Spectre. I think the Spectre has a better aesthetic, even than the XPS. I thought the XPS was a pretty sexy looking little box. It is, but compared to the Spectre, I think it. Uh, it's not as it's not as flashy. Now I'll say this: the XPS 13. I'm waiting to buy because uh, they did do a sneak peek of the new version in 2018, and they're going to be presenting it at CES in Vegas first week of January, the second week in January, and they've done some really cool things with it. it that that look is about three years old, and so it's due for a refresh, and it looks like they're they're refreshing it. It's going to be thinner, has a carbon fiber uh, base and an aluminum body, and it looked pretty cool. Oh, so it'll it'll be a real sturdy, like good piece of feeling hardware like MacBook. I mean, it was yeah. already a pretty good feeling piece. Like I felt like it was very lightweight but durable. Yeah. So it'd be cool to to even see that go a step further. And then what about what about weight? Who who's the winner here for weight so far, or at least who's in the running? The, the Spectre is going to be on the lighter end of that. The Pixelbook probably close. XPS is a little heavier, and I think the refresh that they're doing in, in the 2018 model might actually bring it back in line. 
but it's a little on the heavier side. It is just a laptop, and so it has a little more beef to it. Um, don't know about the MacBook and Surface Pro. The MacBook uh, weight is 3.2 pounds. The uh, Spectre is coming in around 4. Well, for the 13-inch, it's going to be a little lighter than that. 13 is going to be 2.78 pounds, so it's it's pretty close to the light on the light side there. It's one of the lighter ones, 2.78. The XPS is somewhere in the three range, three and a half maybe. Okay, so they're all pretty close within within a pound of each other, even probably or less. Yeah, the I will say this too: the Pixel Book doesn't have the eighth gen processor yet. So that is one. And I think I like what they're doing with the Pixel Book. I'll just say that right now. If you have a Pixel device, it automatically pairs with your phone. So you don't have to worry about internet connectivity. It'll just sync up with your phone for Wi-Fi. Um, you know, the fact that it's before a lot of the Chromebooks were just kind of Celeron kind of crappy processors. Well, now you're seeing them have put in some better hardware, but not quite as advanced yet and you still have the problem of just running Chrome apps. And so I think even though you're going to get good performance out of this, even having the seventh gen processor and 16 gigs of RAM, that's a lot of power for a Unix Linux machine. Um, but I think you're still going to have some trouble just with uh, interoperability there, like just certain apps that you can't run, not be able to install programs you want to use. And, and it's heavily reliant on internet. And for that reason, I, I couldn't do it because with all the plane travel, I want to be able to do coding and work offline, and it would be really hard to do that with the Pixelbook. Yeah, I feel even just because of the way that you you work, you know, unless you're going to continue to remote into a machine somewhere, I feel just by that that fact alone, uh, the Pixelbook is kind of out, or it should be anyway. Yep, yep. That was tough call because I really like what they're doing, and I want to support that project. And, and it could be maybe just another year or two away from prime time, but it's just not quite ready yet. The MacBook kind of falls somewhat into that same realm. Um, I mean, you can run Visual Studio and you can run Visual Studio code. The Visual Studio version for Mac, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but it's uh, .NET Core only, so you can't, well, that's not even true either. You can modify .NET apps. It's just not as easy to do or not as friendly to do. Yeah. That somewhat takes the Mac out of the running unless you're developing brand new applications, uh, and I would say also, too, the Surface Pro, I didn't speak to it a whole lot. It, uh, I like the Surface Pro. Uh, I like it's it's very lightweight. I mean, we should just look at that really quick. The Surface Pros are impressive. They've, you know, especially given that this is what basically the se second generation of Microsoft's hardware. And it, it's, it's pretty sexy and it's pretty powerful stuff. I, I'm impressed with what they're doing. Super light. So it's actually the Surface Pro 2017. Wow. Surface Pro 2, right? Well, the Surface Pro 4 is the latest. What am I thinking of? I'm thinking of Surface Book 2, maybe? I don't know. There's something 2 that just came out. You're thinking of the Surface Book, probably. Surface Book I 2. am, yep. Yeah. No, the this is impressive. So the Surface Pro 4, 1.69 pounds. So it's definitely the wins the lightweight competition. I think what I have a problem with, though, is the keyboard. I, I don't like the cloth keyboard. or I want something that's a little more rigid. But, I mean, you can always plug one in or use a US, uh, USB keyboard. Or I mean, there's lots of options. I mean, that's really just your travel keyboard. Yeah, that's true. I'm just thinking if I'm on a couch 
I don't know how it would feel. Have you ever tried sitting on a couch with one or? No, I've never had one of these types of tablets. Uh, I mean, the closest I had was the iPad, which had kind of that flexible, very similar to this. It had the flexible cover, but it didn't have a keyboard on it. So I've never, never attempted that. Yeah. We'll have to check with Doug. Doug has one of these and it has a keyboard. Yeah. I'd like to know from Doug or anybody that's used a Surface Pro what the experience is. You know, I've, I've kind of heard anecdotally that just having the, the cover the way it is, it's a little more difficult to use. It doesn't have the same rigidity that you would get from a laptop, you know, where it'd be tough to be laying down with it or, or you could probably get it to work on a, you know, airplane, you know, folding tray or whatever, but uh, it might be a little more challenging than, than just having the laptop. So it feels like there's probably three contenders here. It seems to me like the Surface Pro, the XPS 13, and the Spectre are probably the top dogs in the race. Yeah, I think so. I think those are the top three. I think um, for me, um, just because I'm a little questionable about the keyboard, that that might rule that one out, the Surface Pro out for me. Like I just would feel better having a more conventional laptop. Um, I love the look of the Spectre 360. I love the power and the the battery life of the XPS 13. And and uh, really, what I came down to was just trying to figure out what I value more. Like, um, the the Spectre has a higher resolution; it can go 4K. Um, it also has that tent mode, so you can it would be ideal if you wanted to watch movies or something like that. You could put it into a tent mode. Uh, the downside is though is because it's a little lighter. Uh, and it has the 4K display, you do lose the battery life. And so really like those those perks come in an expense, which is not having as much battery. So then, you know, it knocks it down to eight hours, which from what I've seen online is still kind of optimistic, right? Depending on what you're doing, you're going to suck a lot more juice out of it. So for me, I think where I've landed is I, I'm a, I like the XPS 13. It gives me the lightweight, you know, factor that I want, it's light enough. It's a lot lighter than my current laptop is. And it also does come with a, a higher res screen that 1800 pixels, like the 3200 by 1800. So I think that's good enough. It's not quite 4k, but that's okay. And it doesn't compromise too much of the battery life. Also too, with the refresh that's coming out at CES, I think that's a compelling reason too. It's going to look uh, you know, it's going to be an updated look. And so, uh, it kind of gives me the best of both worlds. I get the best battery life and a pretty darn good look, even though it's not quite the Spectre 360. I think you should take a look at Surface Book 2 as well. It looks like it meets most of your criteria other than the i8. So it has a core i7, uh, it's a 15 inch. Well, sorry, they have a 13 inch model too. It, the 15 inch can do 16 gig of RAM. The 13 inch, it looks like also can. Anywhere up to two, two, uh, one terabyte of storage, 17-hour battery life, uh, USB-C uh, as well as USB-A. I mean, it looks yeah, it looks like it uh, weight-wise, it's uh, 3.6 pounds total, but in tablet mode only, it's 1.5. So I mean, it feels like that probably fits into your your realm here, probably even better than the Surface Pro does. I think it would be a better fit than the Surface Pro. You're right. We should have actually looked at this one too. A couple of things that ding it for me. I don't like the hinge. I just think it looks kind of ghetto. Yep. Um, uh, if you are into gaming though and or more processing 
power at the GPU level. One benefit of the of the Surface Book is that you do have the option of getting a dedicated NVIDIA uh, GPU built into the base, which is pretty cool. Yep. Yep. So you, or if you're into Photoshop or yeah, video processing or anything that requires a, a powerful GPU. Yeah. The one I'm seeing here, the 13 and a half pixel sense is an eighth gen Intel, which is great as well. I, I think I missed that before. So I kind of eliminated it because, uh, you know, I wanted, there were kind of too many dings for me or too many things. I would, the only downside would be here on price probably. I think these, these are, um, probably out of my budget just a little bit. Yeah. They're pretty pricey for sure. Um, you know, I think the 13 and a half inch with the GeForce bases are starting at two grand. And so by the time you customize it a little bit, maybe put some more memory in there, bump the hard drive, you might be closer to a $3,000 machine. Uh, one thing I really liked about, you know, well, actually it's not that bad. 512 gig SSD and 16 gig RAM, $2499. And that comes with a separate NVIDIA GPU. What kind of battery life does that bad boy have it was up to 17 hours wow that's tough okay yeah the hinge i don't like the hinge that might be the deal breaker i i agree the design is pretty bad i the hinge is made that way because it it can fold backwards as well but it's yeah it's hideous yeah i'm having a hard time with that i I just never really liked that part of it we'll see i should keep an eye on it i i do think though that uh after ces we should have a little follow-up and see what we learn what comes out of that uh that event because I know the XPS 13 refresh is happening. And if it, you know, if the price is right on that one, they haven't announced pricing for it yet, but I know that the current models are actually very affordable. Uh, you know, that XPS 13, the current model, you can get that with 512 and uh, 16 gigs of RAM. And that was sitting around 1600 bucks. With the, they, had a, they had a promotion running, and so it was like sixteen or seventeen hundred dollars, which I thought was a fantastic price for that kind of hardware. And CES is coming up here in early, well, early to mid January, so you should have an answer on that pretty quick. Uh, are you wanting to pull the trigger pretty quickly after that, then, or what's your? Yeah, I wanted to buy the damn thing, you know, this week, last week, but I, I, I think I would regret it if I didn't wait till CES, just because if I was gonna go with the Spectre, I don't really have anything to wait on there i think that that one's pretty good to go but the xps i just don't want the fact that it's a design that's three years old i really want to see what the new version looks like before i pull the trigger on it because i don't buy these things very often so i'd have this thing for probably three to five years yeah no you you would you don't want to rush into something that you're going to be holding on to for a good amount of time and be using daily for you know, all of that time pretty much. Yeah. Especially so. if I can wait a month, if they'll be, if they'll be selling these things in February or even, even in March, I can wait, but it's going to be painful, but I can do it. if I have to. <laughs> in the world of Amazon, I'll have it next day. I know it's pretty oh, hard to wait for these things. It is so painful. I was ready to buy the Spectre. I'm telling you, man, I have my finger on the buy it now button <laughs> against my, uh, I, I decided to wait and see. Uh, the surface. I might have to look at the surface book. Maybe they have a special thing that covers the hinge. If we can make it kind of disguise it. There you go. Maybe you could just yeah, like kind of like MacBooks. You can get the the preformed covers that you know you can get all kinds of different colors and configurations. Maybe maybe they have the same type of thing. Maybe you have a maybe they have just a hinge cover. Yeah, they could. Hinge <laughs> cover, would be nice. 
Well, and there's something about it too. I it's just maybe in my head, but there's a level of complexity there that I'm not really sure I want to deal with. It's like sometimes that can cause more problems, but you know, the laptop mode and the tablet mode sounds like they've ironed that thing out, but I know that there's kind of a thing there where you have to wait for it to to disengage it and yeah, I just don't know how well that works in the real world. I can tell you, even from the small amount of experience I've seen in the office with one of those uh, kind of disconnecting and reconnecting the keyboard, it, it struggles sometimes to, to understand that the keyboard has been reconnected or, you know, stuff like that, where you have to like reboot it to get the keyboard to be identified. So I think there's definitely still some issues to be worked out. Yeah, that sort of thing it turns me off to that idea. It's like, I, I'm going to err on the side of simplicity there. I don't know how often I'd be switching modes. So that's kind of a gimmicky feature to begin with. But if I'd like to do it and it doesn't work, or it only works some of the time, then I'm just going to be frustrated with the hardware. And so I, I think there, I, I, I like the idea of just a simple laptop. It's lightweight. It, it's fortified. It's not, you know, the battery life on that at Dell is just fantastic. So simple is better for me. Uh, yeah, and I think you want reliability, right? Reli That's one of the things we probably didn't talk about here, but reliability is is incredibly important in a machine that you're going to be using day to day for for everything. Yep, exactly. I that's that's one of the probably the most important factor next to well, it's not the most. It, it's pretty darn close though. I want something light, but I also want it to be reliable too. Because if it is crappy, then who really cares how light it is or how good the battery is, right? <laughs> it's pretty darn important. Yep. Yeah, well, that brings us kind of up to the uh, end of our show here. And so I just want to take a minute to talk about uh, the next episode, something we haven't done before, but I think it might be a nice little uh, hook to keep you guys coming back. Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff coming up on the next episode here in the news. We didn't really get into the news today. So uh, coming up next time, some new legislation that's been passed around net neutrality. Uh like to have a good conversation with you about that, Kyle, and talk about what the implications are for for all of us uh, with the new net neutrality laws. Also, I've been excited about this feature. I don't know if you uh, heard about this one, but Windows 10 uh, sets or tabs, I think that's just kind of their code name. I don't know what they're actually going to call this thing, but it's kind of the Chrome browser idea where you've got tabs, but it's going to be for Windows. Windows. Does that make sense? Yeah, I watched the uh, video on that, and that looks really interesting. I'm excited to to chat a little bit more about that. It's a cool idea, yeah. So you can, you know, if you have your Word document open and you want to have some research tabs in there, you can have a browser window and a couple other things. So, yeah, we'll dive into that next time. Uh, we got a little Firefox news here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we were going to, uh, in the news recently here, Firefox had got dinged up a little bit uh, with their new browser that they went ahead and did a auto installation of an extension across everybody in their user base uh, without notifying them. So got them into a little uh, kerfuffle there, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. This last one, oh boy, we could talk about this for a whole episode probably, because this has been a conspiracy theory that we've been behind for years, right? We've all known Apple here coming out with some big admissions of uh, uh, intentionally slowing down the devices. For your for your benefit, though, I mean they're looking out for you, those good guys at Apple, right? Want to make sure that. <laughs> well, that's the claim. So, so we'll look into that a little bit more, and yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll get into the we'll get into consp conspiracies a little bit next episode. Oh, I can't wait to do that. 
it might be a, a complete in the news episode. I mean, that's that, those are pretty four pretty good topics there that we could talk a while on. So. I like it. Yeah, there's plenty of meat to chew on there. Is there anything you wanted to say about uh, you had mentioned a topic that we didn't get to cover today? Is there anything there you wanted to elaborate on maybe for next time? Yeah. So the other topic that we were going to talk about today, but kind of just ran out of time was that uh, I've had a couple of instances here recently where some people that I look up to or that are big names in the industry or, you know, that sort of thing. I guess in my mind, you know, you kind of hear these people and you see them talk with a ton of authority. A lot of people follow them. A lot of people are interested in what they say and listen to what they say. And suddenly you run into a scenario where you find out that, you know, they're not all as uh, all that they're cracked up to be or, you know, that they're maybe no better than you or maybe they their skills are worse than yours, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So mm. I've had that happen a couple of times and it's been it's been eye opening and it's been interesting. And it's it's kind of brought me around to the idea that, uh, you know, to speak on a subject, you don't <laughs> you don't really have to always be a subject matter expert. Uh, you just have to be able to speak with it authoritatively and sound like, you know, what the hell you're talking about. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit. Oh, that's very interesting too, because I know that we all, well, I know at least for me, and we've talked about this before, just this idea of imposter syndrome. And so maybe that's the other side of it is always just thinking that, uh, you know, in, in addition to feeling like we're imposters in what we do, sometimes thinking that other people that we look up to are uh, infallible or or can do no wrong or you know, we have probably visions of grandeur of, of these people that are just as out of whack as our own feelings of being the imposters <laughs> are on the other end of things, right? Yeah, there you go. That's exactly right. Yeah. Or maybe they're the imposters, right? I mean, you're, I'm looking at them and saying they're effectively, I'm saying they're an imposter because they are speaking on subjects that I would expect them to know better, or, you know, in my opinion, mm. they should know better than what they're saying. And, you know, they, they spew out things that, in my in my opinion, it would be complete falsities. So, I'm excited to dig into that one. Like that's something for me that's um, kind of haunted me through a big part of my career. I think I've made a lot of progress on that in recent years, but I definitely have struggled with my identity as a programmer and how I stack up to other people. So, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be a competition. It's just, uh, but it's interesting, like how easily intimidated I can become just uh, in a larger group of developers in a room, or just assume that I'm, you know, I rank myself at the bottom of that list. So, uh, interested to dig into that one next time too. That'd be fun. I agree with that, one hundred percent. You know, the podcast kind of has helped in that respect a little bit to to make me feel like I can speak out uh, as a maybe not a subject matter expert, but that I can speak out on things, uh, you know, with some sort of authority, even though maybe I'm not the the best, you know, strongest developer in that area or something like that out there. So uh, it's been eye opening. And it's, uh, this is the second time this has probably happened to me. And since I've moved to Seattle, uh, people that I really, really look up to and, and yeah, just finding out that, you know, maybe their shit stinks a little bit. <laughs> And on that note of sneaky shit, uh, let's wrap up this Coffee and Codecast here, episode number six. You can contact us at Twitter on our uh, handle at Coffee Codecast. Use the hashtag pound ask three seat. You can email us at coffeecodecast at gmail.com. And our temporary website, which should be temporary, not for much longer, temporarily temporary, is http colon slash slash coffeecodecast.libsyn.com. 
subscriptions. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud once we renew the uh, pro account here, hopefully in the next uh, few days. SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, iTunes, and TuneIn. Please don't uh, hesitate to rate us, like us, share us, leave a comment, good or bad. Any kind of feedback is good feedback, so uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, this is uh, Mike and uh, my cohort over here, KJ, Kyle Johnson, uh, with Coffee Code Cast. Coffee Code Cast.